This podcast is recorded and produced on Gadigal land as well as other parts of Australia. In the spirit of reconciliation, Women's Agenda acknowledges the traditional custodians of country nationwide and their connections to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. You're listening to Fertility Unfiltered, a Women's Agenda special podcast series supported by Jenea Fertility. Through this series, we aim to break down common misconceptions, shatter stigmas and provide a platform for those whose voices have been silenced. We'll challenge society's limited understanding of fertility, amplifying stories that celebrate the beauty of diverse paths to parenthood. I'm your host, Tala Lambert. Fertility specialists call IVF a miracle in modern science because it helps people overcome the seemingly impossible and get pregnant. In this episode, we're going to hear how it has worked for everyday couples. I'll also share six key things to remember before you embark on IVF. I'm Tala Lambert, Editor-in-Chief at Women's Agenda, and I've been speaking to some of Australia's leading experts in fertility to find out everything you need to know to help you achieve that dream of having a baby. IVF, or in vitro fertilization, is the process of collecting your precious eggs and sperm and then taking them to a lab for fertilization so they can be turned into embryos. At Jenea Fertility, a world-leading fertility clinic, the embryos are then moved to a special incubation system where they grow for several days before being transferred to the uterus. If you've been following this series, you may remember Matt and Miley, a young couple who are struggling to get pregnant, but after deciding to try IVF, something exciting happened. They share their story in episode 3, which takes a close look at the causes of male infertility. The couple went to Jenea to find out what could be happening, and they realise Matt has a genetic condition called Kleinfelter syndrome. So they give IVF a go, and luckily for them, they get their miracle baby with just one round. So, I mean, we were so over the moon when they found sperm, <laughs> but then it was a bit daunting because it felt like it was over to me, like, well, Matt's done his part now. And the actual IVF like the injections and things I was okay with. The first ones for some of the bigger needles, I got my friend who was a nurse to do. And then once I'd done it once, I felt like I could do it. That was all right. The egg collection was hard on The you. egg collection was awful. <laughs> awful. And I got um, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. So just felt disgusting. Um, but again, I think it's easier to look back on now and be like, it was all okay because... It worked out okay. (laughs) The journey of IVF can be very different for each couple or person, and it really comes down to your unique biology and circumstances. For some, it can be a long and gruelling process, so it's really, really important to work with the right care team and have a supportive circle around you. So in this episode, we'll be hearing from Evelyn Zwalen, a patient counsellor at Jenea. Evelyn's own journey with infertility is what inspired her to work in this area. You're also going to hear the long journey one hopeful mum went on, trialling different fertility specialists with no success and what eventually helped her have the baby she'd been dreaming about. Katrina Rowe had heard about the miracle of IVF and when she decided to try it, she was very excited. And originally when I first started my journey, I just thought, okay, I'm young, it'll happen first time. So I told my mum and my sisters about the transfer and they were excited like me and and then obviously it didn't work. So they went on this emo- emotional roller coaster with me. And then I obviously after the second one didn't work and the second egg collection where I only got two embryos again, very low numbers, 
I then soon realised that, okay, it might not happen straight away and the journey might be longer than I first anticipated. Katrina's journey ended up taking years and many heartbreaking attempts with various fertility clinics. Fortunately, she finally arrived at one that could help her. So originally I had exploratory surgery and was told that both my tubes are blocked and that I'd need to go undergo IVF if I wanted to have any babies. But we'd only just got married at the time and so I waited. And then when we were ready to start our family, we went around to a number of different IVF facilities, private and public, and they all gave us the same sort of response of lose a bit of weight, come back. Definitely the public ones were like that. The private ones weren't so much like that. We did a few consultations, but then I decided to get the best out of the outcome. I went and had gastric sleeve surgery, lost 50-something kilos, and then started our journey again and went through a number of providers, um, was told by one company they recommended I go through induced menopause, but first of all they wanted me to do an egg collection and then go through 12 months of menopause and then try the IVF journey. And I wasn't really happy. I thought, we've waited so long. So I went to another company and they did the egg collection straight away. And we got one embryo with that round, which I wasn't expecting, like only one embryo out of eight eggs maybe. And so we did a fresh transfer and that unfortunately didn't work. And that was quite traumatizing because I like obviously I didn't know that you'd only get one embryo and the chances like I wasn't really told anything I'd seen on like online maybe change the protocol but the doctor said no keep the same protocol. Katrina and her partner kept going but it was disappointing news again. We did another egg collection and we got two embryos so we did a fresh transfer straight away they were all back-to-back cycles because I was so determined to have my baby And that unfortunately didn't work. So then we did another cycle and that was a frozen one. And unfortunately that didn't work and we had no embryos left. The situation looked bleak for Katrina, her partner and their dream of starting a family. But then a door finally opened. I'm a nanny and I work for a gynaecologist who racked her brains and thought of Dr Rashi from Jenea. And... I went in there sort of just waiting to see whether it would be the same protocol and she was lovely. She wanted wanted to do some investigating first. Even though it had been four years, she wanted to do another look at the tubes Um, and another like just exploring and seeing what else was there. Um, They found a little bit of endometriosis, cleaned that out and then also found that both the tubes were leaking fluid into the ovaries um which embryos are very sensitive and so that's why they weren't probably weren't sticking so they removed both the tubes and we did a went in to do it once I'd recovered we did a fresh cycle because we got two embryos um and unfortunately that didn't work um so the only change we did with the frozen cycle was add in aspirin And that seemed to be what gave our miracle baby. Um, I didn't want to give up and I'm so glad I didn't. (laughs) 
Investigating fertility challenges and navigating IVF is a complex process that requires a great deal of care and specialisation. As we've heard from many of the guests in this series, you need to feel heard, understood and holistically cared for by the people who treat you. And that includes everyone from the GP through to the fertility specialist and their nurses. One good resource is the government-funded website, Your IVF Success, which provides independent information on clinics and their success rates. Earlier in this podcast series, Dr. Rashi Kalra, who helped Katrina have her IVF breakthrough, also shares a few pointers on how to choose the right healthcare practitioners. You can hear her full checklist in episode one of Fertility Unfiltered. Evelyn Zwalin, who I mentioned earlier, is another person on the care team at Jenea Fertility. As a counsellor specialising in infertility, she says treatment for people going through the IVF journey should centre on compassion. At Jenea Fertility, programs like Mind Your Own Body offer women the chance to work with counsellors and develop relaxation techniques, strategies to manage anxiety or depression, and connection with others having similar experiences. Infertility and its treatment can be a very emotionally challenging journey for couples, particularly if it's a journey that's taking a long time, which it often does. And sometimes the hardest part of the cycle is not the drugs, the hormones, the routine blood tests and ultrasounds, and even the egg collection and procedures. It's the waiting and the not knowing. So this is a really big part of our conversations with patients and helping them A, to prepare for that, and secondly, to accept that this is part of the process. And I guess that the counselling provides an opportunity to provide a space to patients to talk through what is challenging for them. We discuss the treatment, the experience, all the difficult emotions and help them to be prepared for what might lie ahead. So there are a lot of big feelings that come up through this process and all of these can produce psychosocial issues and challenges for our patients. There's shame, there's guilt, there's jealousy, regret, anger, hopelessness and probably one of the biggest of all is that sense of failure because this isn't happening the way it was supposed to happen, the way it should happen, or as quickly as one wants it to happen. And all of these can have repercussions for well-being. So just the process of talking with people about all of these things and validating their emotions and normalizing their feelings can be very helpful. And sometimes it's a matter of helping them to reframe some of their thinking because it's really the way that one is thinking about something that drives the emotional response. And if we can change the way we're thinking about something, we can also change how we're feeling. And empowering people to recognize that and be able to do that for themselves can be quite helpful. The key to resilience is emotional well-being. One of the things that is really important to me as a counselor and something I talk a lot about is about focusing on the journey and not the outcome. One of the most difficult things around IVF is a lack of control. And this is something that many, many women will express to me. You know, they're often women who've been very successful in their careers and in every other area of their life. They're used to working really hard and achieving their goals. And then suddenly they're confronted with this, what seems like a really simple, natural process that, you know, any 17-year-old can do. And they can't. And that is really, really tricky. And not having that control is very hard. So I'm encouraging women and men to focus on what they can control. And that is how they do the journey. So what can you look after? 
where can you exert influence and control? And that may be in who your circle of support is, how you manage this at work, who you tell what to, how you take off some of the burdens that you have in your life, how you plan around when you want to do a cycle, um, how you manage social interactions when people are asking you when are you going to have kids and all the difficult things that come with this. But taking some time to think about those aspects of your journey gives you back some control. And I think that having control is also part of resilience building. But the other part is looking after your well-being. And that's taking time to care for your mental, your physical, your psychosocial self, and making sure that you are replenishing that fuel tank and topping up and putting some stuff in there so that when the going gets tough, you've got some resources to fall back on. But it's tough. It really is tough. And this is a journey that can last for years for some people. As it did for Katrina, who feels grateful that she landed somewhere like Jenea Fertility, a place where she not only felt supported through the periods of uncertainty, but where her precious dream of having a baby was intimately shared by everyone at the clinic. With Jenea, their approach... I felt like we weren't just a number. They actually cared about us, got to know us all through their email contact as well as their phone calls and then going into the clinic, it was a lot more relaxed, um, welcoming, not so like lots of people waiting. You were sort of, it was a lot more relaxed and homely feel. But even like the reception staff, they actually knew you and recognised you and I felt like they all were on the journey with us and you weren't just a number. I felt that they didn't just want my money. They wanted to give me the best chance of giving me my baby and so they wanted to do the investigating first and then with the egg collection they waited till I'd healed. It wasn't just let's just do it. It was let's make sure you've healed, get the okay from the surgeons that did the removal of the tubes. And then all the transfers, like you met the scientists, like she, they came in, they had their lucky socks on, <laughs> the nurses had their lucky socks on and they all really, really cared and <laughs> I learned a lot um, changing providers. I wasn't on the maximum dose of um, medication and I could go up. <laughs> With Janaea, we ended up with 12 eggs collected, 11 embryos, and in the end it was three embryos that were growing to the five days and then there was one that just wasn't quite reliable and we ended up with the two and the first one I think it would have stuck but we didn't know about the needing the aspirin. <laughs> Going through IVF can be really exciting and it may end up giving you a miracle baby, but it can be a long journey with prolonged periods of uncertainty and intense bouts of highs and lows. Later in this series, we're going to look at the journey of getting pregnant solo. But if you're part of a couple and are considering taking the IVF route, there are six key things to remember. Number one, you and your partner are a team and being a little creative to stay connected through this will help. As a counsellor who's worked with many couples getting IVF or treatment for infertility, Evelyn says maintaining a strong emotional connection and talking to each other in a way that feels safe, healthy and honest is very important. I just want to say, I guess, that most of the time we're talking to women on their own. Occasionally, or sometimes we'll be talking to men on their own. And sometimes we'll be talking to couples. But most of the time we really are talking 
to women on their own as they go through this journey. So one of the things that I will talk with women about is the very real differences in coping styles that we see between men and women. And this is, while I'm generalizing, it's also quite classic. We see that women have a coping style which is really about preparing for the worst. And men have a coping strategy that is all about being positive and expecting the best. And as you can imagine, that can cause quite a lot of discordance in a relationship. And men will report that their partners are very negative. And women might say that their partners don't seem to understand what is going on. And so helping them to understand that this disconnect or that this difference is a coping strategy is really validating and enlightening, normalizing and very, very helpful. And then enabling them to look at what can we do to understand each other's perspective and bring ourselves closer. Because what will happen is women will be feeling negative, sad, scared or afraid and men will want to make them feel better and so they'll reassure their partners it's all going to be fine and that might make her more angry because then she feels unheard, alone and unsupported. So helping men understand that their role isn't to necessarily make her feel better though that's, that's everything that they want to do and that they can't fix this but to help her feel heard and supported is the most important thing and the most meaningful thing they can do. And that's a big part of conversations that we might have. Another strategy might be making time to ensure that these matters are addressed. Now, that sounds obvious, but often if I will talk to a couple and I'll say, do you spend any time talking about this? And women will say, we never talk about it. And men will say, it's all we talk about. So there's a very different perspective around that as well. So what is sometimes helpful is to suggest that they make a time where they are going to talk about it. So the female partner will know at some point we're going to, have, going to have an opportunity to say what I need to say and to talk about it. And her partner will know we're going to talk about it, but it's not going to necessarily be all night. You know, not have that fear that if I open the doors, we're never going to stop talking about it, but it's going to be contained. So a set time at a particular day or on every day at a particular time that is limited. And I guess the other thing that I would say is that sometimes partners need to look at expanding their circle of support and not relying entirely on their partner to be their sole support. They need to find other people who can be there for them during this time. And that's where the clinic counsellors also come in useful. Going through IVF can test any relationship with intimacy, future plans and all expectations thrown in the blender. With that, some of the key bonds that keep you feeling close, like sex and intimacy, can be disrupted. But Evelyn says couples who work together, talk openly and get creative with connection can actually walk out of the journey in a much stronger relationship. So if sex has fallen by the wayside, remember many couples going through this are in the same boat. Normalising that this happens is very, very helpful because this is something that is often quite silent and people aren't talking to other people. They're not sure what other people's experience of this is. But knowing that it's difficult for many people and that it interrupts and disrupts their normal sex life and their intimacy can be very, very helpful. But then it's about having a conversation about ways that they can try to address it. One thing is to acknowledge that this is a time-limited process. They're not going to be doing IVF and treatment forever. Hopefully they'll be successful and then they'll have other challenges to their sex life to deal with, but that's a problem they would like to have. But IVF can take the romance out of 
sex and intimacy. And so conversations around how else can you have fun with intimacy and with sex that isn't baby making focused and encouraging couples to consider different alternatives to that. And as I said, as I'm often talking with, with the woman, it will be talking with her about ways that she can bring this topic up with her partner, things that she might be able to do to bring some fun and some playfulness back into the bedroom. Infertility can put a strain on relationships, but you may be surprised to know that many couples report their relationship being stronger as a result of this. You know, it's the idea of this, maybe that adversity has strengthened some of their bonds. And I think, you know, recognizing that this is also an opportunity for growth is a different mindset and a different way of thinking about it. I sometimes think that IVF is a bit of a torch and it shines a light on the relationship and maybe it shines a light on the cracks, maybe it shines a light on the strengths. But either way, it is an opportunity to work together on how might we deal with adversity because this may be the first time they've faced it. It won't be the last time. And all couples in all relationships need to to work out how they're going to manage and how they're going to sustain adversity. So ideally, if you have the couple together, those conversations work best when you're talking to both parties. But otherwise, it's about helping each other to understand how the other partner copes with difficulty, how they express the challenges that they're feeling, um, what their resources are, and to work out how to ask for help from your partner in a way that's accessible for them. We have a tendency, all of us sometimes, to think our partners are mind readers or that our partners will know how we feel because maybe they should be feeling the same way that we do, which they clearly don't. So learning to articulate your needs and express your wishes is really kind of 101 in relationships and very realistic and important here too. The second key thing is counselling. Whether you want to improve on your communication skills or work through some tough stuff in a safe space, counselling can make a world of difference through the IVF journey and it's worth both partners accessing it. We try to ensure that partners are aware that the service is available to them and we'll address communication that we send to both partners in the relationship. Sometimes where possible we'll do that. But I think there's just a really a real difference between men and women and their accessing counselling in general. I think I'm seeing a bit of an increase in men accessing it, but it's not going to be ongoingly. They will, they may book in for a session or they may come with their partners, but in terms of ongoing support, that's really going to be the female in the couple that we see. I think there's a few factors. The one is that it is the woman who's bearing the brunt of the treatment. She is doing pretty much everything. The person who's having the treatment is is always the woman. She's doing the drugs, she's doing the medications, she's doing the treatments, she's doing the ultrasounds, the blood tests, she's usually the one taking the phone calls. She's also managing everything else in her life around the IVF treatment to try and make sure that it is successful. She's managing work. There is a much, much greater burden psychological and medical burden on the female partner than there is on the man. So it's much harder. And so she is feeling it much more. But if we go back to the coping strategy, if men are thinking it's all going to be fine, then this isn't that emotionally difficult. I'm confident it's going to happen. We just need to give it time. So he feels okay. Whereas if your coping strategy is this is never going to work, I'm never going to be a mother, I need to be prepared for the worst, 
then you're going to struggle more. So there's that aspect. So I think that's why women access and want and need the counselling much more. The other side of it is that I think as a coping mechanism, talking about this feels sometimes that it's more helpful for women, that their go-to is to talk about their feelings and to share how hard this is and to connect with the pain. If you ask men sometimes, and I'm aware that I'm generalising and that's not all men, talking about it feels unhelpful. It just makes you feel the pain and they don't want to do that. So they may rather go and kick a football, go and do something physical, go and do some exercise, have a round of golf that takes their mind away from it and that feels more beneficial. So there are a number of factors, I think, that make counselling in the fertility world much more needed and accessed by female patients. Recognising that what they're dealing with is grief and loss is the first step. It's interesting sometimes that when we talk to patients about the fact that what they're feeling is grief and loss, they hadn't looked at it in those terms. We associate grief with someone dying but recognising the many different losses that this journey brings for them and that what they're feeling as a result of that is grief is very, very helpful to help them have some sense of why they're feeling the way they're feeling. And that then validates how they're feeling and it also gives them permission to take the time to do the grief work. You know, if they need time out from work or time out from friends or a space to cry, that all feels much more reasonable to do when you recognize that what you're feeling is grief. But if you're feeling that you just had a medical procedure that didn't go so well, that doesn't feel so like an okay response to have. So really just acknowledging that they are grieving is, is very helpful. Of course, along with that comes encouraging self-care in, you know, talking about ways in which you can kind of fill your tank, if you like, when you're doing IVF and infertility treatment, you really are depleting your own resources. And sometimes those need replenishing. And so helping patients to think about ways in which they can replenish is a very, very useful process. And I also talk a lot about a dual process model of grieving. And the dual process model of grief talks about there being two processes that happen concurrently, or if not concurrently, you move between them all the time. You, you oscillate between the two. The one is a kind of grief orientation process where you're attending to your pain, you're acknowledging your hurt, you're expressing your emotions, you're feeling it. The other is the restoration process where you're getting on with your life, you're making decisions, you're moving on, you're trying to put everything back together. And both of those processes have to happen to deal with the grief. But sometimes you go back and forwards, backwards and forwards between them and that's a really healthy way of approaching it and recognizing that, you know, firstly, grief isn't linear. It's not, I'm sad today, I'm fine tomorrow. You may be better tomorrow and the next day you may be worse. So all of these things are important. Understanding the way in which grief works and how that can impact you is a lot of what we do. Knowing how heavy the IVF journey can get, the third key thing to remember is to practice self-care. When Katrina was going through rounds of IVF, not knowing if or when she would finally get pregnant, she lent into creative activities to give her mind and body a break. This type of self-care can lift some of the weight you're feeling, even if just for a moment. Yes, I um, ended up getting into paint by numbers, (laughs) 
which I found just a distraction, just something. And especially in the two-week wait, like I tried different, sometimes I worked, sometimes I didn't work, took up knitting, I took up crocheting, didn't, and then the paint by numbers. And with the last, when the successful transfer worked, I've actually got those paint by numbers in her wardrobe um, and I did them on the two-week wait. And when she gets older, I'll tell her about that two-week wait. And <laughs> but these are what I created when I was so hopeful that she stuck. <laughs> if that's the moment you're hoping for too through IVF, the fourth thing to remember is to develop a budget and financial plan. Do some research, ask questions and have a rough estimate of what the journey may cost. At Jenea Fertility, one cycle of IVF can be around $4,200 to $6,200 after Medicare rebates. These fees are just an estimate and the price will vary depending on location, other rebates that may apply and private health cover. For Katrina, she ended up making a huge sacrifice by taking money out of her retirement fund to help pay for IVF. There are many concerns over women having to dip into already low superannuation funds and facing increased risks of financial instability during retirement. It's another reason why governments need to step up and better fund reproductive healthcare. Earlier this year, the New South Wales government announced a $2,000 rebate for women who have IVF or other assisted reproductive technology treatments in private clinics. There is a lot of catching up to do. We had to borrow a little bit of money off my mother um and me and my husband are both on low paying wages and we found like the public IVF companies we just we wanted to go with them but we had to go private for the experience and so we ended up I took out my super twice for the IVF journey otherwise we wouldn't have been able to do it and obviously with like the cost of living at the back in the back of my mind if we want to do it again we'd have to touch my husband's super and I sort of in the back of my mind I think people that don't have a lot of money and do want this dream to come true it'd be very hard on on them Uh, and that financially if we did want another child that would be stopping us from doing it again like I'd go back for the journey now knowing what I know now but um the financial side it would be what would stop us because it is like not you've got to pay for the consultations but also like the drugs as one chemist you've got to go all the way you've got to either order it pay for delivery or, or there's a chemist that you go get it from like you can't just get it from any chemist you have to get it from a special yeah. chemist which is also takes money like to get it and yeah. Yeah, there's the medication leading up like pre-egg collection then after egg collection like it's not just a yeah there's different medication and it's not it all costs money (laughs) if you're not ready to have children but you want to freeze your eggs it costs money to keep them in the freezer and and I also found like looking at different everyone depending public private even between the private companies they all charge different amounts of money so you get, I think you get the same about a re- rebate back, but they all charge different amounts. Um, so it depends on what you can afford as to whether you can do it or not, really. We actually call Ella the million-dollar baby. Ella really is a million-dollar baby, and by the sounds of it, she's more than worth it. The fifth thing worth remembering when embarking on IVF is to advocate for yourself as a patient. Trust your gut and don't settle on a provider who doesn't give you the right answers. 
Before landing on Jenea Fertility, Katrina says important issues went undetected and she felt unsupported. When, like, my first surgery, they didn't see endometriosis and a couple of the companies said, oh, you didn't have it a year ago, you won't have it now, whereas Dr Rashi wanted to investigate first and see if there was anything there. And I went in going, oh, you know, a number of companies didn't need to do that surgery. I didn't have anything and but I was happy to explore and see and it turns out there was a little bit there as well and they cleaned it out and I think that helped as well, like doing it again, even though it was only a few years that it had happened, like being open to going with another company and having just a look around to see if anything's changed. Um, with the other providers, I was told all oh, councils would contact you I waited, not knowing what to do. I wasn't contacted. So I felt very sort of, I suppose, isolated, like I didn't know who to contact. Obviously, I didn't want family and friends knowing about the transfers after I found out that I didn't realise that it was going to be such a long journey. So I thought the councils were going to, like, you know, we'd talk. I felt very isolated and unaware of who to contact and where to go. I don't know anyone else going through this journey and so I didn't know who to contact and who to talk to. But when I came to Jenea, even just talking to the nurses, like they didn't just tell me the transfer didn't work. They, you know, listened to my feelings and if I had any questions or if I thought of any questions later I could email them and they responded straight away. Like I felt like there was someone to talk to and ask questions and you'd get an answer. even on the weekends I'd email and I'd get I'd get a response on the weekends, um, which I didn't feel so alone with. <laughs> don't settle for the one provider if you don't feel like the answers are what you're expecting or if you don't feel like you're listened to, you can move providers and don't give up. <laughs> um, keep going. It's a hard journey, but the end is worth it. We've covered some really important insights into IVF today, and wherever you are in your journey, I hope they've given you some answers that lead you to your own little miracle. Before we say goodbye, I have one final reminder. In this journey, you'll have some really tough decisions to make. In some cases, it may even be ceasing IVF treatment altogether, and maybe looking at other options like egg and sperm donation or surrogacy. These are tough road stops to arrive at in life. But there's a concept called radical acceptance, which Evelyn says can help people feel more empowered through the storms. There is constantly this not knowing. You know, that's the thing that women often say to me. If I just knew what the outcome would be, you know, if somebody said to me, you're never going to have a baby, it's never going to work, I could get on with my life and I could deal with it. But it's this almost gambling side of it where you just you pay your money and you take a chance and you go through the process and you're never knowing what's going to happen and there's so many different ways that this can be disappointing and be hurtful and you're just uncertain all the time it's a really big part of this and even the, even just the sitting in the cycle and waiting to hear from a nurse not sure when she's going to call and what she's going to say to you so there's a lot of that and I guess acknowledging that and helping women and men develop a level of acceptance around this. I think a big part of all of this is many people present to the counsellor, they're anxious, they're uncomfortable, they've got all these big feelings, they want them to go away. And part of what I'm doing is saying, 
I can't make those go away and neither can you. These are normal. Every person that I speak to who's on this journey is feeling most of these feelings to some degree or other. And what we have to do is accept that these are along for the ride. You're going to feel anxious. You're going to feel scared. You're going to be angry. You're going to be jealous. It's not about making those feelings go away. It's about accepting that they're going to be there and getting on with your life anyway. And I guess the uncertainty is one part of that. So I talk a lot about radical acceptance of these difficult emotions, but also how to soothe, how to distract, and how to get on with the rest of your life. And it's really important to focus on other areas in your life and make those bigger and sometimes to make the IVF component somewhat smaller, even though it is the biggest thing that might be going on for you. So wherever you are right now, try to hold on to that concept of radical acceptance. And remember, IVF can give you a miracle, but how long and the impact it takes on the health of your mind, body, relationship and finances really depends on your unique circumstances. So it's worth putting some safeguards around each of these. Thank you to our guests today, Evelyn Zwalin at Jenea Fertility and proud mum, Katrina Rowe. In the next episode, you're going to hear about the options available to same-sex and gender-diverse couples having their first baby. Later in the series, we'll explore options for getting pregnant solo. To keep up to date with all the episodes, subscribe to Fertility Unfiltered, which you'll find on every listening platform and our website. I'm Tyler Lambert. I'll see you next time.